You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Not joined by Frank Madden tonight, who, as I have mentioned once or twice before, he does actually have a family, and he is, I think he's on the road right now. I think he's driving to Houston. He's getting a little early jump on on the Thanksgiving uh, commute there to Houston. So uh, Frank's going to be back tomorrow after the game against Atlanta. Justin Garcia is back. And he can't go anywhere because he has the misfortune of seeing Giannis play live tomorrow. And after last night's game, I I feel like he's probably not complaining about that. But Justin, thanks for jumping on again. And how much fun was last night, first of all? Let's start there. Um, You know, I was trying to, I was talking about it with a a couple of people with Eric Name and Charles Gardner after the show, uh, just trying to figure out not just Giannis games, but where this one ranked in terms of the more memorable, fun games to be a part of. Uh, and really the only one that comes to mind because th- that Giannis 52-point game, he basically put up similar stat lines, but the Bucks lost. And that was the yeah. game where they, they were pretty much out of the game for most of it. They came back late, but Philadelphia, it seemed like they were up 10 the whole game. The only other one I can think of is that Brandon Jennings 55-point game. That's yeah. the closest one, and that's only because none of us saw that coming from Brandon Jennings. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I did the, the morning show uh, with Brian Butch and, and BJ DeGroote there uh, after – or the morning after. I'm trying to figure out what, what the hell day it is right now when people are going to be listening to this. But uh, Brian asked me where this sits on even, even games for Giannis or individual performances for him – and it was funny because I, I, I sort of thought about it and I was like, okay, um, we know that Giannis won the MVP last year and he was just, like the bulk of his work across the 82 games and the playoffs was just unbelievable and he had an incredible season. But the Bucks were also so good and they had so many contributors that it was kind of interesting to sit back and think, okay, how many games like last night was there where Giannis just said, you know what, we're not losing tonight. I'm putting up as many points as I possibly can. And I'm going to simply carry the team to a win. And maybe you might be able to point out if, if there's any games that I'm missing here, but the two games that instantly came to my head, um, yes, there was, there was the 50-point game you mentioned. That was one. Uh, the other game was the game in Utah where the Bucks had no guards and yeah. they went with the with the mega lineup and Giannis ended up having 40 plus on a back to back. They played in LA the night before. It was just it was an incredible performance. But both those games they lost, <laughs> and so it it changes the feeling about that a little bit. And maybe only the other game that I I really thought of was Giannis in Philly. Uh, against the Sixers late in the regular season where I think, again, he might have had 40 high 30s. Yeah, 
it was an incredible individual performance. That one, the Bucks win. Those were the three that sort of stood out for me. I, where does where does it sort of sit in the last oh, two years for him? That uh, that Philly one too. I think a lot of us we remember that as the George Hill game because that was right. You know, what fourteen in the third or fourth quarter, and he had uh, like seven or eight in a row, nine in a row, I think to bring them back and because that was the that was when Eric Bledsoe disgraced the basketball court yeah, with whipping exactly. the ball Joel Embiid. Um, the only other one I can think of because I guess this would have to be his best game because of the 50 zero turnovers yeah, yeah. a double double the fact that they won and all these other ones you're mentioning they lost in the weird part was uh, this was one of those games that it snuck up on you how many points he had that it, it didn't feel like oh Giannis is taking over that it was probably early fourth quarter I remember looking up at 1.2 and thinking, uh, well, no, it was late in the third because I remember looking up and saying, oh, he's got 36 points. Wow, how about that? And uh, I think that was the, the general consensus for a lot of us that I talked to after the game that all of a sudden you looked up and realized, whoa, he's got a lot of points. Wesley Matthews said the same. Um, a couple of players that, that uh, were talked to in the locker room said the same thing of they didn't really realize it until the end. And, you know, we've had these games in the past where you know – He's dominating and taking over. Not to say you didn't know he, he was dominating last night, but this one just felt like, wow, he's already close. He's already near 50, and he's already at 40 points. The only other one for me that comes to mind is what I guess the game that maybe put him on the map, and that was, what, two or three years ago um, in the Bradley Center. It was, the I think, the second or third game of the year against the Trailblazers where he basically uh-huh. single-handedly won that one down the stretch with that block shot and the dunk and everything else. Yeah, was that the one where he, he actually missed the, the free throws? Was that, yeah. was that it? And yeah. then he sort of punched the, the chair on yeah, the bench yeah. and then came back and got the game-winning uh, yeah. you know, defensive play. But, yeah, you know, the funny thing that you mentioned about his points sort of accumulating quietly last night, I think what it was is that it was the first half because when you went into halftime and, and the Bucks are down and the Jazz just can't miss it. By the way, I mean, that could carry it on through the second half, but they're just having this incredible shooting performance. The Bucks are sort of just like hanging around there. And I, I think that it went under the radar that Giannis had 18 points at the half. And yeah. I, I mentioned to Frank post-game yesterday that this game felt a lot like the game in Utah a couple of weeks ago, but the difference was while uh, it didn't feel like Giannis was was completely off the chain, he was 0 for 4 from 3, um, he was accumulating points. And he only had two points in that game in Salt Lake City at halftime. So uh, I think, you know, having the 18, all of a sudden, he had a similar type explosion in, in the second half uh, last night as he did last time. But the 18 points was what pushed him over. But yeah, you, I mean, when, when you, you add a win, and I think that, that obviously means something as well. But the zero turnovers... Um, still racking up six assists. The fact that he hit some big threes down down the the stretch in the fourth quarter there, um, it was it was a lot of fun. I, there's not too many times that where we still talk about the game on on a second pod, but I, I think the the fifty from Giannis was was certainly worth it. But I was thinking this morning when I woke up, I was like, well, you know, and this sort of reminded me of, of a couple of weeks ago where I thought there was a bit of a dead dead day in, in the schedule. And I was like, well, there's not much news here. And then next thing, Chris Milton is out for three or four weeks with the thigh contusion. It was a similar type thing today. And then I wake up, I check Twitter, Chris Milton's back tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I, it was interesting just talking to you. I, I, I'd like to hear your sort of uh, what you saw at the arena yesterday in the warm-ups with Chris. But um, 
you know, given what Bud said, he was kind of coy before the game yesterday in terms of not giving a lot away. That's nothing new with Bud. This one certainly caught me by a little bit of a surprise. I, I didn't think this was going to happen so quickly. Yeah, I, I wasn't at practice today, but uh, when I got to the arena yesterday, and I usually get there uh, on a good day around like three hours before game time. So I'm usually getting there right as they're doing any final individual workouts with players, uh, if they're already on the schedule that day and before they start to go through basically what we show on the, on the Bucks courtside feed with the players just getting out there and getting their shots up. And when I got there, Chris Middleton was going through a workout and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a strenuous one from what I was watching, but it also wasn't just him out there on the floor shooting. And I remember thinking like, well, we've asked Bud about Chris and his progress and everything that he went through. Uh, they did some extended work with him in Atlanta before the Hawks game that this seems like he's probably close. Now I didn't anticipate the next day we would find out he's cleared, but I do remember thinking then, Ah, this is probably means this is probably around a week away that maybe it's Monday that he's going to make his return. So I was certainly surprised to see that. But in hindsight, you and I were talking about this before too. At the time of the injury, I do remember thinking like, that's a pretty severe diagnosis for the amount of timeline they were saying he would be out for what that injury appeared to be. For sure. Yeah. And, and clearly that, that type of uh, thigh contusion if you're you know I'm not a doctor but uh, like I, I discussed it with Frank if you look into it I mean that can be uh, pretty serious but I also think that it's the type of thing that um, you know generally from what you hear uh, you can recover the recovery time can be varied and and you can you can bounce back pretty quickly from that and I think when you look at the box schedule coming up uh, Atlanta obviously tomorrow well today it's going to be today and so they have the Hawks before Thanksgiving and then they have the Cavs the Hornets the Knicks the Pistons uh, I, I just don't think that Chris Middleton would be coming back or they would even bother bringing him back if he wasn't feeling really good and this has to be something that over the last week uh, he's been pretty close and uh, yeah it doesn't seem like from what we know as far as what's being revealed this isn't the type of injury that he's going to be able to make worse like it's either like you saw or you're not saw and for him right. for them to bring him back uh, with how easy this schedule is on paper uh, the next few days it tells you that he must be feeling pretty good yeah it's not the hamstring injury right. that he's dealing with and, you know I'd be curious to see too is uh, just for the reason that you said that it's not anything you're you would assume you're going to make worse I'd still be curious to see if this is something where Chris plays tomorrow, but it's only 20 minutes or 18 minutes or something like that. And he's kind of eased back because certainly with this schedule, they can more than afford to do that, especially with the way that that backward has been played in his absence. Yeah. So I think I, I did read there that, that, but he wouldn't give it away, but it looks like there's going to be some sort of minutes restriction against Atlanta. And I, I do want to get to the uh, rotation because this is now going to be the interesting conversation to have with, with Chris coming back. Um, when you compare uh, some of the minutes that some of these guys have been playing and how well they've been playing. But one thing to look out for, I, I think, and something just to, to flag um, here, is that the Bucks do play Atlanta. Looks like Chris Milton is going to be on a, a minutes restriction there. As you suggested, also might be a smart idea. But then the Cavs and Hornets game on Friday, Saturday night is a back-to-back. Giannis hasn't missed a game yet this season. I would not be surprised if he has one of those off. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, would agree. Yeah, it, it just feels... I mean, this, we, we, when we talked about uh, preseason, how many games you would expect Giannis to play, uh, he played 72 last year. They were, did a pretty good job of managing him through that. 
when you lose Chris Middleton, it becomes a little bit difficult to rest Giannis, particularly if you're trying to establish that that top seed in the East and uh, yeah, move as close as you can to, to home court early in the season, as they did last year when they really established themselves as, as a winning team. Uh, you know, Middleton and Giannis, we saw at times last year and back-to-backs where Giannis would have the first one off, Chris would have the second or vice versa. I don't think that they would want to rest Giannis uh, on one of those games. But yeah, just, just flagging that one. Uh, this weekend, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Giannis have a rest. Attention past, present, and future MyBookie players. For this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all of your money back It really is a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. It's no risk and all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of that risk-free bet that I already mentioned at the top. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. With the rotation now, it's interesting to look at, at the minutes in uh, in the games that Chris has been out. So he's missed seven. The Bucks have won them all uh, against a, a pretty easy schedule by that that obviously impressive win against Utah uh, last night. But when Chris Milton was playing in those first two 10 games, he was playing 30.7 minutes per night. Dante DiVincenzo was playing 13.9, Sterling 12.1. They're really the two guys that have seen the bump up here. So... Dante has gone from 13 minutes to 26, Sterling 12 to 22, and that that's really the two noticeable changes. How do you see this playing out? I I think we both agree that it's it's going to be it's going to be Chris for for Dante in the starting lineup if Middleton starts tomorrow. Certainly, um, looking ahead, how do you think the Bucks shuffle this now with these minutes? Because I think both Sterling and Dante have earned minutes. Well, I think it's it's going to uh, clear itself up because based off what we have seen, uh, the Bucks can keep starting start, or they can keep starting uh, Dante, and we're going to see them release Wesley Matthews and trade Chris Middleton. As I have already seen <laughs> some people reach out to me on various shows and say they're winning without Chris. I mean, why don't we just go ahead and move him? Somebody even suggested this means we don't have to pay him, which mm. I, I don't know. If this person doesn't understand how contracts work, but mm. uh, no, it, that's it's going to be really curious to see and. You know, the general assumption is it's got to be Pat Connaughton that suffers most just because of what these two guys did for you. But, you know, we saw this go up and down a season ago, too, where Pat Connaughton was out of the mix and then Pat Connaughton was back in. And the same happened with uh, Sterling Brown. And then the injury occurred to Dante, where uh, I almost wonder if for the time being, maybe it is Sterling Brown that's on the outside, that it's he and Pat Connaughton fighting over minutes. And Dante, I, I just don't see how you can't continue to give him the minutes if for no other reason than his development now. And I keep going back to maybe ultimately the role for Sterling Brown 
is basically this team's P.J. Tucker. And when we're talking about Ursan and giving Ursan a rest, that we've seen Bud go with Giannis and four wing players. And at the rate that Sterling rebounds at for a wing player, he is essentially playing the power forward spot for you. So that's something when you look at how they shuffle the minutes, that's something to keep an eye on down the road, I think. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting point that you make. So I, I think in terms of the guard mix, uh, I will, or the guard slash wing mix, I would probably agree. Uh, I think that Dante has probably still got his nose ahead of Sterling. I think you can point to a number of reasons for that. The fact that he was the guy that Bud went uh, to start with, I think, um, tells you something. I also think that Pat Connaughton, when you look at uh, Pat's numbers, interestingly enough, 16 minutes per game, uh, before the Middleton injury, 18 after. So he's remained relatively steady. And I probably would expect that Dante... I mean, Dante is not going to get 26 minutes because they're just not going to be there. But, um, you know, I, I still think that he'll see a bump up from the 13 he was at. I would probably look for him to still sort of hang around that 18, 19 minute mark. And perhaps it's uh, Sterling and Pat that take a little bit of a hit. But you bring up a really good point about the, uh, the fact that Bud has gone small. And it was notable yesterday that Robin Lopez only played two minutes. And when you look at those numbers... Basically an eight-man rotation yesterday. Yeah, they, they, went, they went really uh, uh, short in the rotation and also played some, some funny lineups there with the... Uh, Lopez did play more minutes than he normally does, um, to be fair. But uh, the Lopez brothers have actually seen, if you combine their two minutes, so your traditional five... Uh, lineups, the Lopez brothers have seen their minutes per game go down from 41 to 38, even though there was all these extra minutes available. And part of that is, as you pointed to, uh, Bud's been happy to go with Sterling, a little bit of Pat at, at the four, mostly Sterling, I, I think is fair to say. And Ursan's also seen a drop. So yeah, that's something to watch that if you're looking for minutes for, for Sterling Brown, um, maybe yeah, he, still, he, he will take a hit on those traditional sort of two-guard wing uh, lineups, but he might still see some minutes with Dante. We've seen those, those lineups be pretty good defensively, and maybe Bud continues to sort of uh, tone down the minutes with Robin and, and go with some more of those, I guess, modern lineups. And, and even though Robin's been hitting the corner three like recently well the last week or so, uh, I think we're starting to see a trend uh, that, that Bud is happy to, to play those small lineups. You know, and, and the thing, the interesting part is now this brings it all to a head. And I, one of the shows I think you did last week where Frank brought up the point, too, of maybe the problem and biggest problem this team is going to be facing is the quantity versus quality uh, debate and issue that they have where we're already talking about, okay, now you got to try to find minutes for these guys. And as we've all said, last year really illustrated it, that the minutes are going to come, that injuries, sickness, whatever it is, is going to happen and guys are going to be called upon. We've seen the Bucks use the G League as a way to keep Dante and DJ Wilson and, and Sterling Brown to a lesser extent, but some of those guys keep them getting those minutes and runtime. But, I mean, now you've reached the point, and, and the problem to that point that Frank made is you want to continue to get consistent minutes for Dante when he is playing like this and when Sterling is doing the same, and it's just not going to be possible, which is a good problem to have, but still a problem nonetheless. Yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at. And one of the things that I've, I've sort of touched on is that I personally don't really care if Kyle Corbett doesn't play for a few weeks. I don't care if Ersan Ilyasova doesn't play for a few weeks because, I, th- I mean, we know like when they play what you can expect or what you think you're going to be able to get from them, particularly with someone like Ersan um, Ilyasova. But 
with, and even, you know what, to, to a certain extent, uh, extent Pat Connaughton, who, uh, you know, it's not like he's, he's been in the league a long, long time, but he's just more of a steady contributor that we've seen him miss time before and he comes back and he's just Pat. But I, I think particularly with Dante and Sterling and, and even DJ Wilson, uh, these guys aren't just someone that you can just plug in. I mean, they can have an impact here, but they don't have that consistency. And I think they're the type of guys that are still in their developmental stage where they really, really benefit from from getting regular regular minutes. And so that is going to be something to to balance as we look at this Bucks team that uh, I think has been experimenting with a few different things. And I, I think it's good to see. I think it's what they needed to do in the regular season. And, and most importantly, that they just keep winning. Would you put Wesley Matthews in there eventually too? Where I, he's talked about too, and it, it's four straight games now where you've seen Wesley make an impact with this team, and and he's talked about, look, I'm I'm an 11 year pro, and I know what to expect and what to do here in the league. It's just a matter of getting comfortable within the system and with my teammates. But you know, once we see this stretch to a couple more and six, seven, eight, ten games, where you're like, okay, now Wes looks like the guy we anticipated. Would you throw him in there too? Of Maybe, maybe today's an off day for Wesley Matthews. Yeah, no question. And uh, I think we saw the benefits of this last year with George Hill that, um, you know, early in the season and through December and January, like if these guys are a little like at all banged up, like just give them a week off, man. Like it doesn't matter. And what you want is these guys running into form in March, April, heading into the playoffs, because uh, while we want Dante and Sterling and, and DJ, these guys diversify the the offense, the defense. They bring different a different type of energy. Uh, you know, you've you've got veterans that you know you can rely on to hit big shots. That you're not worried that the moment is going to be too big for them. West Matthews, George Hill, uh, these guys. You want them in, in really good shape come playoff time. So yeah, West for sure. I, I definitely don't think he's a guy um, that's going to be playing 80 games or anything like that. But uh, you know, he's pointed to this. You just, you just mentioned it there. He said himself that he's needed some time to adjust to a new team and really a completely new role. This is something that I think has been overlooked. He's taking a, a career low in, in field goals. Uh, his, his usage is, is lower than it's ever been. I mean, he's just playing a completely different role as that fifth guy. He's never been there before. He hasn't had to play that. Um, certainly not, not for a long, long, long time. So yeah, I'm not surprised that he's starting to look a little bit more comfortable. But again, yeah, he's he's a guy that you can rely on, and you just want to make sure that those types of guys are right come playoff time. Yeah, and you know, as as we just pointed out, he's he's looking more and more comfortable now, and it's four straight games where this is basically what we all kind of expected from Wes. My thing is just with him is one of the guys we mentioned too is DJ Wilson and. I know he talked about this after the Hawks game. DJ did that Wes has kind of been his biggest cheerleader, and Wes has given him a lot of good pep talks and been the veteran that's kind of latched onto him and told him, hey, you're doing everything right. Uh, last night before the game, we played something too where Wesley Matthews gave a minute-long answer about DJ Wilson and how impressed he is with DJ Wilson and the way he carries himself and some of the things that he goes out of his way and doing and staying ready. And as an 11-year veteran – he hasn't seen this in very many other players in the league. Yeah, I missed that. That's interesting because uh, I, I've said many times before from last year being around the team and, and you know, just following guys like yourself and the guys that are there right now on the, on the beat, uh, the professionalism within, within this team that, that Bard and everyone has brought and the veterans that they've got, just like really good locker room guys. I mean, it's filtering down and you can really see that. And 
Uh, I mentioned before uh, multiple times that last year, there was a couple times early in the season where I, I spoke with DJ, um, particularly when he was playing with the herd. And I was like, I'm not sure of this guy. Like, I, I don't know. He doesn't seem like he's sort of heads in the game, like he's switched on, but he's, he's come, he, he's come full, uh, full circle there to, to where he, from where he was. Uh, to where he is now in terms of professionalism. I was a bit worried there what I was about to say. I feel like it was going to be like a Jason Kidd um, moment when I was I was trying to figure out what I wanted to say. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch this rotation. I think with Chris coming back, that will be the thing to watch. I do want to now touch on something that uh our good friend eric name wrote in the athletic i think it was a really fun exercise that they've been doing across the athletic and that is the all decade team for all nba teams eric went with i i mean i don't think like there was uh anything too controversial about uh eric's starting five but i think there is a couple of positions worth discussing and uh he went with uh, bledsoe brogdon milton Giannis, greg monroe I'm, I don't even really want to discuss like Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis. I think that that's, I think they're just a lock. I, I mean, think, yeah. I think Brogdon is like, he's probably almost a lock as well. I mean, maybe like you want to go down the path of Brandon Knight. I don't know, but it's, it's, you know, you just look at the team winning and I, I think that points to Brogdon, some of the big shots he hit in really meaningful games. But the center is where I want to get to. So I think it's, it's out of three guys. Um, you could have gone with Greg Monroe. You obviously could have gone with Brooke Lopez or uh, you could have gone with Bogut, I think, honestly. I, even though the 2009-10 season doesn't count, uh, he put up some really good numbers the year after despite not being at his best defensively. Where would you sit at the, at the center position? I mean, it's tough. And I saw if I had to choose, I, I get everything that Greg – I mean, Greg Monroe is – more off the court, I think, and in, in what he represented for this team, for finally sure. yeah. um, signing a free agent, whether whether or not that proved to be what they wanted. But um, I would have to lean towards Andrew Bogut, I guess. I mean, it's only, what, two years that we're looking at for him. So it's the same for him, essentially. You're looking at two years from Andrew Bogut, from uh, Greg Monroe, and from Brooke Lopez a year and a half. Um I would go with either Andrew Bogut or or Brooke Lopez, and just based off it was two full years for Bogut, I'll lean Andrew Bogut there. Yeah, so Bogut, so if 2009-10 doesn't count, which that's what Eric pointed to, um, which was clearly the, the career year for Bogut. That Is, was the arm 2009-10 we do count or don't? Don't, so that makes it difficult. Um, 2011, he played 65 games, led the league in blocks per game with 2.6. He still had a 12.8 point, 11.1 rebound, double-double with a couple of assists there as well. Clearly an impact player, but not not really the, the same offensive guy. And then the year after, he was putting up 11 and 9, but he only plays 12 games before he breaks his ankle. So it, it, it does make it a little bit difficult. And, and also you add in the fact that those teams for um, you know, multiple reasons, were really bad. I think that that counts against Bogut, even though this is an individual thing. This isn't how many uh, games the team won. And Greg Monroe, I agree. I think that it is... like When, you're, when I think about Greg Monroe and what he, he meant for the Bucks, I think of a couple of things. I think, first of all, um, the fact that this was the first real legitimate signing that... I mean, he could have gone to, to the big city. We know that. He chose Milwaukee. He came here to play a lead role. 
And I, I mean, I've wondered, I've always wondered, like if Jason Kidd's not here, uh, I would have to imagine there's some hard feelings between Munro and Kidd. Like if I'm, if, if I'm trying to put myself in Greg Munro's shoes, he came here as the marquee a free agent signing. It didn't work out. He ends up getting benched for Miles Plumley, and Plumley ends up getting a $50 million deal because he throws down a couple of lobs to end a, a, a meaningless season. And that's, that's essentially what happened to Greg Munro. Now he's playing over in Germany. But he's per 36 numbers. I mean, we know defensively that Greg Monroe was not great. But, uh, you know, per 36, this was an 18 and 10 guy with, with over three assists with the Bucks. Um, he was okay. He was pretty good over, over a couple of seasons. And I think it's certainly um, arguable that you could put him in there ahead of Brook, who had an excellent one season. But I, I don't know. I, I don't really have any, uh, you know, Harsh takes either way on this. I could see an argument for all three of those guys. If I had to pick, I'm probably going Brook just because of the, I think the impact he, he really had on winning. Um, but he also had MVP Giannis next to him and Greg Monroe didn't have that. Well, he may have, who had the best individual season of those three guys? It's either the, that the full year that Andrew Bogut had or the impact that Brook had last year. And, statistically, I guess it's Andrew Bogut that you would give it to, but for all the, uh, the numbers that it doesn't speak to and the rim protection and the rebounding uh, pluses that Brooke Lopez gave, it makes it interesting. But the, the whole 12 games in the second year for Andrew Bogut, I guess, rules him out. So I'll just go with Brian Skinner instead. <laughs> well, you, well, you know what the tough thing is about this? The Bucks 2014-15 obviously have that, uh, that run. And and then it, it's kind of there's some similarities there between uh, that season and the Bogut one because then the year after, uh, Greg Monroe comes in, he averages 18 and 10 in, in 2015-16, but the team kind of sucks. And that was sort of the same with Bogut. He put up really good numbers. He had led the league in blocks per game, but the team sucked. Brook Lopez, uh, we know the impact he had defensively with, with the block shots, the rim protection and how much he changed the offense shooting the threes, and the team's really, really good. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, with that, uh, I, like I said, I would probably lean to, to Brooke, but I think there's an argument either way. But it's a fun exercise anyway. I think that there's a whole podcast in there somewhere discussing what your second unit would be. I think you could, you could have some wild names in that group. You know, the, the more fun exercise may be the all-decade, do you remember this player played for the Bucks team? So you know what? Um, my friend texted me today um, in Australia, and he was he went back and listened to the to the Andrew Bogut podcast from last week, and he texted me and said, "I was just listening to that Bogut podcast, and he's like, holy shit, the Bucks have had some characters over the last uh, sort of decade.'" And I said, "Yeah, I said, yep, that Bogut era, they had some real dudes in that locker room." And he he actually said, uh, he he gave me the loosest starting five in Bucks history. He had Brandon Jennings starting at the point, OJ Mayo uh, shooting guard, Stephen Jackson small forward, Michael Beasley uh, power forward, and Larry Sanders at center. And I said, "Yep, that's uh, there's some serious characters in that group." You know what the interesting part of this exercise is too. You could basically construct the lineup more. I don't know. Go with more of a Bud style here. And we could say, look, early on in Giannis's career, uh, he was all over the place. I know we pencil him in as a power forward now, but sure. started as a small forward. So I'm going to go ahead and put Giannis at the small forward, put Chris Middleton in the backcourt, and my power forward is Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I could buy that. I mean, uh, Middleton's obviously been great and 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 an all star player, but 
a big nod to him also is the longevity and Ersan clearly, you know, when you talk about this decade, he, he's been here virtually the whole time, obviously at a couple of years away, but yeah, yeah, I could buy that. I could also, I, I don't know whether you could stretch it to putting him at center, Giannis, but uh, I, yeah, I think that that's an interesting conversation to have as well. What you classify Giannis as. I, I think if, if you're putting him in any position it has to be power forward now, but yeah, that, that's, that's not a bad point. All right. Last one I've got for you here, Justin. We were talking, or I was talking with Frank yesterday, and he mentioned some of these sweeping changes that the league is proposing. I think it's for the 2021 season. And I think Frank's got some serious takes on this, so I don't want to dive right into this. Again, I think this is another one that could be a a whole other podcast, but one that does, particularly if, if Giannis... Uh, stays in Milwaukee, which uh, I think we, we, we think he's going to, then uh, this would affect the Bucs. And that's the reseeding of the final four teams in the playoffs. So what essentially would happen is you'd still have your Eastern Conference and still have your Western Conference. You would get to the conference finals, and then all of a sudden they would reseed everyone one to four based on record. So just for example's sake, last year that would have meant that the Bucks would have played the Blazers in the conference finals, the Warriors would have played the Raptors, and essentially the Bucks are in the finals. I mean, let's let's be real about that. The Blazers weren't beating the Bucks across seven games. So then you probably still end up with uh, Toronto Bucks NBA finals, but it, it clearly changes everything because uh, regardless of how you look at this, then Kawhi, we know he was really injured. He has an, another couple of weeks' work on that knee. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it clearly would have changed. If that was the rule, things um, would have changed drastically in the, in the playoff storyline. So what do you think about this idea in general? I'm kind of torn on it, and I heard uh, Howard Beck's podcast today where he dove into it with Michael Lee. Um, I don't, on the surface, I don't have a huge problem with reseeding the top four or the, the four conference finalists, but... I guess it opens up the conversation of if we're going to do it there, what's the point of conferences to begin with then? And if that's the case, why wouldn't you just go seeding one through 16 and go with a full on uh, tournament then for the playoffs? Obviously every Eastern conference team is going to vote against that. Um, but if we're already going to do it there, then number one, what is the winner winning? It's not the Eastern conference or the Western conference. So that's something to, to be determined that if we're going to make those tweaks, which on the surface I'm in favor of, and I think last year too is really, when looking back at the last five or six years, really the only one that would have been impacted like that, where most other ones would have basically stayed as they were. Um, so should we just move to seeding one through 16? And, and then if that's the case, I know they were talking about shortening it to 78 games for the schedule as well, but I mean, it, it, are you and, – and, again, this is something that's a pipe dream because of the revenue attached to the games. But then if you're doing one through 16, just have every team play the same schedule and they play a home-and-home home with each team. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I, I do like about it, and, and that is the fact that um, it, it does place even – I mean, you already have home court, um, but it does place even more importance on that or give you more reward for being the number one seed. Um, because you, you know you, you do see that you can still be the number one seed overall, and that means if you get to the finals, you have that home court. But the second team in your conference can still, by far and away, be the second best team in the NBA, and and maybe uh, you don't actually get there. And and I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's there's some 
uh, merit to that point that if you are the best team in, in the entire league across the whole season, uh, then yeah, you should get to the conference finals and, and have the best chance of, of making it to the finals and also have the best chance of legitimately having the best two teams in the NBA finals. So I think that's kind of fun. Um, I, I do think that the, the conference champion thing is interesting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I literally could not care less about division titles or even conference titles. Like, I, like if the Bucks beat the Raptors last year and then lost in the NBA finals to the, to the Warriors, like I'm not walking away going, well, you know what? Well, at least we're Eastern Conference champs. Conference champ, man. Like I'm, I'm walking down the street. Um, I'm jumping on the hop, go down to the third ward, drinking a beer, and my Eastern Conference uh, champions T-shirt. Like I, I don't really care about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think mine is more of the. I think you know if we're gonna do this, it, it, it is worth exploring then of just. What's the point of conferences? I know obviously the travel is the biggest component, but if we're going to go to reseeding, like how far removed are we from just saying we're going with the top 16 teams and because of the travel issues and, you know, the other component to it as well, if, if we do, if you do something like that in a full-on reseeding, your Western Conference team and the West is as good as it's been for the last decade, I mean, you can make the case too of, hey, we're going to be hurt more than the Eastern Conference here because – we're beating up on each other, whereas the top Eastern Conference teams are playing an easier schedule and they're going to be towards the top. Yeah, that makes some sense. And I do think, I mean, overall, when you look at this, this is, this is obviously a money thing. And I don't think, I really do not think that there's any coincidence that the two LA teams are right up there. And all of a sudden, we're talking about a little bit of uh, reseeding in the conference finals. Like, I, I don't think that that's a coincidence like, at all. And also the fact that, that obviously Milwaukee's uh, right up there and, and Toronto and some of these uh, non-huge markets for the money makers, I guess, for the NBA and the TV ratings that they're very worried about. So I don't think that that's a surprise. Obviously, it, it is all about money. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think it's interesting for Bucks fans and, and, you know, the listeners should let us know what they think on Twitter because as far as all the changes go, this is one that as long as Giannis is in Milwaukee, you figure that you're going to be... Uh, like that's going to be the benchmark, right? The final four, the conference finals, whatever they end up calling it, if, if, if they change things. So this would be something that would genuinely affect the Bucs. So I, I think that that more than anything is, is worth thinking about and, and how, uh, you know, what that would do for, for the Bucs chances of getting to the finals and, and how you might play the, the regular season. Like maybe that number one seed means a lot more than it has in the past. It would, it would be interesting to see. Well, and the biggest thing, and you touched on it too, is I agree there has to be some reward for the regular season. And I think that's ultimately what is driving this is I think the league, they've received enough information and maybe even warning signs of the interest in, you know, you and I both know of it too, for casual fans that talk to us, the interest in the regular season is waning. So you have to do something to make that regular season meaningful. And if that's saying, uh, whether it's reseeding one through four or whatever it is to, to say you have the best record in the NBA, you need to be rewarded for that. They got to figure out something to do with that. Yeah. And, and again, like this is, this is a little bit of panic um, from the league. There's no question with those ratings going down. I don't think that it, it helps, you know, with some of the, some of the games they're scheduling on national TV. I think that plays a part. I don't think the coverage of the game is, is helping either. I, I think there's just a number of factors that, that, uh, you know, contributing to that, but, 
it's one to watch. Uh, I know that's it's going to be a, a big discussion point moving forward, and certainly that that in season tournament. I mean, she's uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna get to that, I guess, over the next week or so when we when we get some time. But that I I, I don't understand that, and I, I don't understand like what that actually does for the fans or the or the players who you know you talk about reducing games i'm not sure i'm not sure what that does uh, or why if uh, if i'm watching the bucks why i would want Giannis playing in some mid-season tournament that isn't going to ultimately affect them winning the championship it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it's uh, it's a talking point it's a nice little uh, mid-season talking point but justin like i said uh, i knew that you were going to be around Milwaukee cuz you've got a game to work tomorrow night the bucks are playing the hawks 7 p.m at fireserv uh let's hope uh Giannis gets another 50 for you so let me ask you this where does the win streak end well i don't think it ends in the i don't think it ends in the next five <laughs> so i i think that you're looking at a bucks team that uh is 19 and 3 uh, heading into the the game against the Clippers, uh, I think, like, because I, uh, you know, I, I do believe that even if you rest Giannis against the Cavs or you rest him against the Hornets, I think the Bucks still have enough to win those games. The uh, the Cavs one is a road game, which even more reason why you don't even have to travel him to Cleveland, where it's it's basically, hey, you get off Thanksgiving Friday and then Saturday you're playing at home against the Hornets. So I would I would agree that I think it's that game that he would sit out. And uh, leading into the, the Clippers game, that would put it at 14, I think, 14 in a row, which they've only done three times in franchise history. So it doesn't it kind of seem like, though, it's going to be a team you don't expect. Like maybe it's the Hornets or the Pistons game right in front of the Clippers game, that that's how we always see long and elongated win streaks come to an end. Yeah, that is generally how it works. And, and look, if, if they do win all those games and get through the Clippers and they got the Magic, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Cavs after that. So, I mean, yeah, the next outside of that Clippers game, right up until December uh, 17, or December 16 against the Mavs where they have a little tough stretch, uh, the, the schedule is, I mean, it's just wide open for the Bucks to just continue piling on wins and open up the gap, which is now up to 1.5 games at the top of the East. Yeah, I, I think... I don't remember if you and I talked about this, but I, I think that Christmas Day matchup with the Sixers, um, I think the Bucks. there's a very good chance they have five to six games separating themselves and the Sixers because of their schedule versus Phillies heading into that matchup. Yep. Well, me and Frank touched on this, and the fact that Giannis had 50 yesterday on the same night and Bede had zero was just beautiful, I think, for anyone that enjoys the Bucs, that likes watching the Bucs. It was just, I mean, that that was just fantastic to see. Yeah, you hate to see it. <laughs> All right. We are going to leave it here. I did speak to you that, uh, you know, we've, we've been running these these podcasts long. We're going to, I don't know, sometimes look to, to not ramble on for over an hour to the point where people stop listening. But uh Thanks again. I mean, this is like the fourth time now. You're you're more than just a. I don't know if you're a guest or you're just a, just just part of the show now. I think we can we can almost put you in that in that category. Yeah, this is great because I feel like if you ever do make it back here and we have a live pod, there's a decent chance I'll at least get to be on a panel for it. So the more that the more it happens, the better. I hope I hope people are interested in having a live pod because I know I was I was in the crowd like drinking beers last year and I was like I reckon that I would become even more interesting or i would be able to throw out even more hot takes if i have you know five six seven seven beers whatever while i'm doing the pod so um yeah i'm i'm that's something i'm i'm more than open to doing 
You gotta you gotta be sure to do two versions though. The one that is recorded and posted on the feed, and then one the just podcast after dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like it. I like it. That is a good idea. But we are gonna leave it there for now. As I mentioned, the Bucks do have one more game before Thanksgiving. They're gonna take on the Hawks tomorrow at home, seven p.m. Looking to move to fifteen and three as they just keep rolling on. For Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.